0: I try very hard to stay away from sports when I'm preaching because I know that some of you don't speak that language. When I start talking football, you hear Italian or Swahili or something. I do, I do have a story to tell you and you need to know, first of all, most of you know that I'm from Missouri originally, but my mom is from Nebraska. My grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins on her side are all Cornhusker fans. Uh, go Big Red. So, When I was a kid, the Missouri Tigers always stunk terrible. They were just horrible football teams. So we always rooted for Nebraska, the Cornhuskers. That's who I grew up uh, cheering for, and that's still my all-time favorite football team. I have become a Ducks fan. My sympathies if you are a Beaver fan. Uh, You might want to ask Jesus if you're really saved. (laughs) Just a joke. Okay. But this story involves the Ducks and the Beavers and the Cornhuskers. Four years ago or so, Nebraska fired their coach and hired Mike Riley out of Oregon State. He was a coach at Corvallis for several years. And I don't know why they did that because he was even worse than the coach they fired. But uh, they hired an Oregon State coach. He went to Nebraska and promptly lost more games than he'd lost in Oregon State. But in the process of those years, he recruited a certain quarterback uh, out of high school and this kid came to play at Lincoln, Nebraska and, and last season, a year ago, he he redshirted. For those of you who don't know football, uh, college football, red shirt means that your freshman year, you only have, the NCAA only allows four years of eligibility to play, so if you're freshman year you can do what's called redshirt, which means you attend all the practices and you're a member of the team but you can never dress out, you can't play and you don't lose a year of eligibility, so essentially you're on the team for five years. So this kid redshirted last year as a freshman and he expected to be able to play starting quarterback position this August is when um, he was going to start playing second year in school. Well at the end of the last season the coach got fired. Mike Riley who had come from Oregon State got fired and they replaced him with Scott Frost who played at Lincoln at Nebraska but he had also coached on the Ducks team. He was the one of the uh, coaches when Marcus Mariota played for the national championship with the Ducks several years ago. and But his offense is a completely different style. His coaching's different style. All of Mike Riley's staff was dismissed, and Scott Frost brought on all his own coaches. And here is this kid who redshirted last year as a freshman, expecting to start quarterback this last month. And now his coach is gone, and the offense that he's learned and practiced for a year is gone, And also Scott Frost over the previous six or seven months had recruited a true freshman from Fresno, California. His last name was Martinez to come and and try out for the team on a scholarship. And he went to the camps and the combines and the tryouts and stuff this summer. And this 18-year-old true freshman beat out the kid who had already been there for a year thinking he gets to be the start quarterback. So now we have a new coach and a first string starting quarterback who's just showed up in town and I have been here for a year. I gave myself to this program and I practiced all of last year and now everything changes. So he stormed off the field, cleaned out his dorm room, dropped out of all his classes and moved to Corvallis and he's going to practice, play with the Beavers next year. The first game the true freshman 18 year old quarterback tweaks his knee and he's out. If this impatient, pouty little brat had waited 45 minutes of playtime, it was really two weeks, you know, between the time he left campus and Nebraska's first game. If he had waited three quarters, he would have been back in his starting spot. But instead, he walks off the field, storms out of town, I'm going to go play for this other team. But he can't. He cannot just go to Corvallis and start playing for the Beavers because of NCAA rules you can't transfer in the middle of a school year. That keeps players from a, a team that's doing really badly. It keeps them from transferring to a school that's doing really well halfway through the season. Well, I'm going to go play for them because they're better. Right? So he, cannot, he lost a second year of playtime, and he could have been starting quarterback, if he'd have just been patient. But he was too proud to play for second string. And he got upset and stomped off. Y'all with me? So he's twiddling his thumbs in Corvallis, Wait until next year, not guaranteed anything there either. I have two girls uh, playing volleyball right now, junior high and high school, and neither one of them has been particularly happy with the spot that they fell into on their team, coaches' decisions and other girls and the amount of play time or I wanted to play this side but I got stuck on this side or I get rotated in and out and I, you know, anyways, neither one of them is particularly really happy with with the way the volleyball season is going and so I told them this story, I said, you do not know what is going to happen, you just be faithful where your coach puts you. Of course, we're not praying that anybody tweaks their knee so that our girls can get a starting spot or anything like that. You're missing the point. But I said, you be humble enough to play second string and you have no idea what's coming. You have no idea how this will play out. Just do your very best to practice. When the coach does put you in, you play your very hardest. You do your best. You keep a good attitude. You be faithful where the coach assigns you. And you do not know what will happen. But if you get upset or if you pout or if you quit practicing at 100%, guaranteed, you're not going to get promoted. Because every coach has to make decisions. There's 20-some girls on the team. There's only six spots available on the court. The coach may have eight or nine girls that are equally good. Only, it's just a matter of math. Only six of them get a spot. It's not personal. So every coach, every boss, every parent, every pastor has to make decisions. And some of them are just purely mathematical. doesn't have anything to do with politics or personality or agendas. Sometimes it does, but oh, most of the time it doesn't. It's just the way it is. You know, I would have loved to have taken 25 or 30 more of you guys on our trip to Manitoba this summer. But I can only take five. The You guys that I didn't invite has nothing to do with anything personal. I wasn't even supposed to bring five, but I did. <laughs> and even when we were on the trip, we were thinking... And we were speaking, uh, like, oh, it would have been great if so-and-so had been with us. And this would have been so much fun if he was with us. And so-and-so would, would really love this experience. And, and so there are so many more of you I would have liked to invite. But the next time, I, I'll only be able to bring a few there, too. I, I don't know how it works out. It just I had to pray and see what the Lord told me and make a decision and go with it. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. So don't... Be afraid to play second string. Don't pout about playing second string because you don't know what's going to happen and what the Lord has in store for your future. You may be in a job situation where you got passed over for a promotion that you genuinely think you deserved and the person who got it genuinely didn't deserve it. Keep your mouth shut. Don't make a hasty decision. Be faithful. Work hard the Lord will reward you at the right time. Somewhere down the road, your faithfulness will pay off. But if you quit in pouty anger and go get a different job, you're guaranteed to have to start over from the bottom again. Well, Mitch, I'm already on the bottom. No, you're not. Not if you've been there for a while. You got something going. Come on. (laughs) You all know what I'm talking about. Don't be afraid to play second string. Not everybody can be first string, it's just the way it goes. And you know, Sarah and I have felt bad for our girls not getting to play as much as we wanted them to or not having coaching like we wanted them to or, the, you know, what, and every parent feels that. But, but I, I told the girls, life isn't fair. And yeah, when they're real, real little in the tiny peewee sports, the coaches have to make sure everybody plays pretty much equal amount of time. But by the time we get to junior high and high school, it ought to be about doing your best and winning. It ought not be the coach having to manage the clock to make sure it's fair for everyone. It just can't be. And it really hurts when it's our kids that aren't getting the star positions, but it's a really good lesson. Be faithful, play second string, work hard, do your best. You have no idea what's coming. We'll see what the Lord does. In the Bible, the number one example of the guy who's not afraid to play second string is Jonathan, the son of Saul. His dad is king. He is the crown prince. By every legal and rational right and reason, he should be the next king. And some punk he has never heard of gets anointed by the local prophet and kills the local giant and all of a sudden the public thinks he ought to be king. And what does Jonathan do? He becomes his best friend in all legitimate... What's the word I'm looking for? He's he's his genuine best friend. There's not a hint of politics or backstabbing or jealousy or... Competition between Jonathan and David. He loved David like he loved no one else. Two times he saves David. He saves David's life when his dad tries to kill him. If Jonathan had any, even half of a second thought buried way deep in the back of his heart, like, I would really like to be king, he wouldn't have spoken up. He would have let his dad kill David so that he could be king. No, Jonathan, and then Daniel are the only two characters besides Jesus, of course, in the Bible that w- the, the Bible doesn't tell us anything negative about them. Of course, they're not perfect, but but everything that we're presented with in the stories is positive. There's, we're not told about their sins or their character flaws. Jonathan is a, a rock star. He is a great, loyal friend, and he is not at all concerned about who's in charge or who's getting the credit. I want what God wants. I love my friend and I don't care if you get the throne. I'll just be your friend. And he is such a loyal person that even though he knows his dad is a demon-possessed madman, he goes and stands next to him in battle and he dies for his dad. Even though he knows his dad is a wicked man. He's loyal to his dad. And he's loyal to his best friend. He doesn't care what it costs him. I'll play second string, whatever is necessary. He is a beautiful man. If the Bible didn't tell us that there were 12 apostles, we would only know of four of them. Peter, James, and John, and Judas. They're the ones that get all the air time. Once Jesus calls Matthew and Nathaniel and the rest of them, there's, they're just, their names on a list. You get to the book of Acts and we hear about Matthias being added to replace Judas. And then then the rest of the book, there's nine of them that are completely ignored. It's Peter, James, and John. And then we get into after the day of Pentecost, these two little hot shots, Philip and, and Stephen, and they get all the attention for a few chapters. And if if you're Simeon or Nathaniel or Thaddeus, you could think these guys didn't walk with Jesus for three years. They didn't suffer with him like we did, and they didn't hear what Jesus taught and see the miracles. They're just hearing the stories about it, and now they're getting all the press. And then this murderer comes along, and not only does Jesus forgive him, he makes him the lead hotshot apostle. Oh, what am I? cold oatmeal come on Jesus you make Paul the hotshot of the rest of the Bible seriously we know absolutely nothing biblically about what the rest of them did Fox's book of martyrs and some other church history documents tell us what they did and it wasn't pouting it wasn't I'm stuck on second string well Peter and John and Paul get all the attention. James gets to be the pastor of the megachurch in Jerusalem, and I get stuck getting my skin cut off. <laughs> seriously, one of them got flayed alive, seriously. So these other apostles who were just as legitimately apostles as Peter, James and John and Paul, get zero mention. Zero. Not a sentence, not a footnote. But they served faithfully. They went where the Holy Spirit led. They preached the gospel. They died for it. God knows what they accomplished eternally. They're there in Revelation. The 12 apostles of the Lamb. They're there in Revelation. But we have no idea what they did. We have no documented proof where they went, what they served the Lord. What's the fruit of their life? We don't know. God left them out of the story. But he knows their story. Hello? You may feel invisible at church or ignored in your family or passed over at work or you're working just as hard as everybody else on the team, but so and so's the star and I don't ever get any credit for what I do. God knows. God knows. If you're honestly serving Jesus, it won't matter if what you do is small. I mean, it won't matter to you. And it won't matter if it gets big. It's, it's all for Jesus. That's all that matters. If he wants me to serve in anonymity and just be fasting and praying in secret, if I'm serving day in and out and no one seems to notice that I'm the one teaching the little kids and cleaning the toilets and vacuuming, and then okay, it's fine. I'm just here to serve Jesus. I just love him. It doesn't matter. I just go and I give my life for him. The biblical character who is the antithesis of this, the guy who is the negative example is John Mark. John Mark was on a trip with Paul and Barnabas and probably Silas. And in the middle of the mission trip, he decides he's missing mom's home cooking and he decides to go home. Right in the middle of the trip. Well, um, I'm missing mom's uh, apple pie, so I'm going to go home. Of course, the Bible doesn't tell us why he went. We don't know why he left. But he just quit in the middle of the ministry trip and goes home. So later, when Paul and Barnabas get back and they're ready to leave on the next trip, Paul and Barnabas get in a very serious debate on whether to invite John Mark again on the next trip. Barnabas thinks he ought to be given another chance. And Paul says, no way. He's flaky. He's unaccountable. He's not dependable. Not taking him. And Paul and Barnabas part ways. And lots of preachers and authors and Bible commentators have said, this is where Paul missed it. He's not gracious. He, he didn't forgive John Mark. And I say, no way. Paul did exactly what was right. It's not a matter of forgiveness. It's a matter of trustworthiness. It's a matter of faithfulness. Can I trust this guy? I need to take somebody I can trust to be there when I need him to be there. The good news is that at the very end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, send John Mark to me, he's useful to me. So the good news is that over the next 30 years, or 20 some years, John Mark had started over at the bottom and he'd been faithful and he'd proven himself to Paul that, hey, I've grown out of that. I'm not that immature, punk, unfaithful kid anymore. I've grown up and Paul says, I can use him. I can trust him. Send him to me. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, We glory in troubles, knowing that troubles produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Trouble produces perseverance. It would be nice if we could learn perseverance and endurance without having anything to endure. But, alas, that is not the case. Trouble produces perseverance. Perseverance... Produces character, and character produces hope. In English, the word hope, we, we normally think of it as wishing, sort of sitting on the edge of our seat, hoping, wishing, desperately waiting for Jesus to return, or Jesus to save us, or God to answer our prayer. When the Bible says we hope in Christ, it is speaking of a peaceful, calm, calm, mature steadfast faith and we don't get there in three days we don't get there by quitting over and over again starting over we get there by persevering which produces character and character gives us hope or a peaceful steadfast solid expectation of faith that's what hope is. James 5:11 says, "We give great honor to those who endure under suffering." For instance, you know about Job's perseverance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Romans 12:12 12, 12 in the message says, "Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder." Romans 12:12 12, 12 in the message, "Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder." You may genuinely have been passed over for that promotion or that pay raise. You may genuinely be serving and you're not getting the credit or the appreciation that you want or need. Be faithful. Be faithful. You may go on audition and somebody else gets the part. You try out and somebody else gets the spot on the team. And you get the spot or the part that's the minor character that you didn't want to play. Be faithful. The director, the coach, the parent, the boss, the pastor is watching. Your turn will come. The Bible says in due time, in due time, if you don't give up, God will raise you up. At the right time, if you don't give up, God will raise you up. Amen. In ministry, at work, in whatever your goal and vision and dream is, don't give up. Don't keep starting over from the bottom because you keep moving or you keep quitting your job or you keep giving up on ministry when it gets hard or whatever it is. Keep serving. Don't be too proud to play second string. Don't be too proud to be somebody else's backup. And at the right time, the Lord will move in your life. Amen? Corey Asbury, who is currently famous for his song, um, Reckless Love, back when he was at IHOP, he wrote this song called All Is For Your Glory, and I just want to read you some of the lyrics. All is for your glory, all is for your name, that in all things you may have the first place, and in all things you may have preeminence. So put me anywhere, just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere, just let me see your beauty put me anywhere, just put your glory in me, and I'll serve anywhere, just let me see your beauty, that is a beautiful humility, and a great faithfulness, that you generally don't see in people his age, Lord I will do whatever you need done, no matter how dirty, or thankless of a job it is, I just want to serve you, wherever it is, put me anywhere Lord, it's all for your glory.